Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. We work hard as physicians to take care of the health and well-being of our patients. But when it comes to our money, do we have the same condition of care? Probably, probably not. Let's change that together. Welcome to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast, where we'll fight and advocate for your financial literacy. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Thanks for being here. Let's jump into the show. This week's episode is sponsored by CityVest. CityVest has quickly become the most popular and best way for doctors to invest in top-performing real estate private equity funds that are usually reserved for institutional investors. This unique access to investing in these institutional funds is available for the first time ever through CityVest's easy and secure online investment platform. CityVest does the hard work of conducting due diligence and vetting the investments. They even get a third-party due diligence report that is posted on their website. As a result of aggregating a several million dollar investment amount into their access funds, CityVest gains access to investing in the institutional investment and is able to negotiate better investment terms such as a 12% preferred return. You can check them out at cityvest.com or go to the link in the show notes below. Welcome everybody to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast and I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, we talk about four different types of freedom, time, location, emotional, and financial freedom. And as you know, our audience and uh, guests started out as physicians, and now our brand has grown so that we are on the cutting edge interviewing entrepreneurs, investors, business owners, people doing fantastic things. Um, And really, the idea is to get empowering information out there so that you can become inspired, motivated, and educated and be more productive in today's volatile society. So today, I'm really interested in this conversation. Uh, His name is Ethan Brown, and he's the founder and host of PBS Climate Podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. But what's particularly interesting is I want the audience and guests to really focus in on change, social impact, in creating long-lasting legacy and really creating a better future for the next generation. So I'll let Ethan introduce himself. So Ethan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, I'm really, I really love just talking to guests from all different fields and just assimilating trends and different ideas. So tell us more about yourself and we'll get started into the conversation. Sure. Well, like you said, I am Ethan Brown. I'm 23 years old and I am the host of The Sweaty Penguin, which is a comedy climate podcast presented by PBS's national climate initiative, Peril and Promise. And our goal is really to try to make climate change less overwhelming, less politicized and more fun and more digestible. So definitely uh, feel free to check us out. 
Yeah. And how did you how did you get started in uh, this? This was it uh, just something you felt called, or was it you know something your your career? Tell us more. So going back to high school, I learned about climate change for the first time. I thought it was terrifying. I was super overwhelmed, but it didn't seem interesting to me. It wasn't something I wanted to go learn more about. And I think that that was kind of weird because I felt like if I'm going to do anything to help, I need to be able to learn about this, but I wasn't finding it interesting or compelling. So it took until I was going to college for film and television at Boston University. I felt like if I'm going to be a storyteller, I need a story to tell. Climate change seemed so important. So I started taking some classes. And that was when it sort of came together for me that there's just so much more nuance to this than I had realized when I first learned about it that was just present in the news or whatever. So I was kind of developing this environmental communication style in my early college years that was really about exploring nuance, thinking critically, uh, taking out the politics and just analyzing facts and having fun with that. And at the same time, I was running my college satire publication, The Bunyan, uh, for two years. I had all this uh, comedy writing experience and opportunity. And then when quarantine hit in early 2020, I was home, bored for the first time in years. And I thought, okay, how can I kind of combine all of this together? And that's how The Sweaty Penguin was born. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think for creatives and, you know, on digital entrepreneurs, you know, the pandemic was a great time for creative influx and um, innovation. So um, what's interesting is you describe climate change as um, was really uh, politicized. What, what, what do you mean by that? I'm just curious. So I think that there is obviously climate science, things like the greenhouse effect, carbon dioxide or other gases will absorb solar radiation and that warms the planet, things like that, which yes, some people dispute, but that is established fact. But then there are political questions, things like how do we decarbonize? How do we prepare for increasingly worse wildfires and hurricanes? How do we adapt? These sorts of questions are, they don't have a right answer. There are lots of different answers, and that's where policy can really come in. You can have a debate, and that debate is good and constructive about how to solve these problems. So very often, I think the whole issue of climate change gets turned into this political thing, when really there are two different pieces. There is a science piece, and there's a policy piece. And there's actually a lot more pieces than that. There's economics, history, anthropology, we could go on. But um, I feel like it's a lot more constructive to kind of split that apart a little bit. Obviously, we'll talk about both in a single episode, but not in the same sentence, maybe, um, because that can get confusing. And ultimately, we want to get on the same page about the facts. And then once we're there, then we can have a much more constructive political conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I think, uh, you know, I was, re- I was reading um, somewhere where Elon Musk says that, uh, you know, the top five things that can destroy us as a civilization and I think the top of, like you said, artificial intelligence, uh, climate change. Uh, third was um, like a we get we get destroyed by an asteroid or a meteor, just like slams into Earth. Um, but it's you know it's quite fascinating because you know all of the stuff that we're seeing, like hurricane, wildfire, heat wave, you know, 
recently ERCOT because I live in Texas. So the whole energy grid is like, uh, you know, under serious strain, even in that's like, you know, Texas is pre prepared for these heat waves. I mean, if it's straining, you know, there's a problem. So um, how do you find hope and optimism in, in all of this? It seems like our world is just going to, to shit for lack of a better word. Yeah. So I think, um, first off, if we take a step back, so in the United States, uh, greenhouse gas emissions peaked in 2007. They've come down, I think, around 12% since then. Coal consumption has gone down like 58% or something since then. And if we look globally even, um, when the Paris Agreement was first signed in 2015, we were on track to warm by about 4 degrees Celsius over the next century. Today, we're on track to warm about 3 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. So... Is that fast enough progress? No, but it's something. And I think very often we start from this idea of, oh, we need to start acting on climate change. And no, we have been. We just have to do it a lot faster. Um, when we continue from there and think about how do we actually do that, so solar and wind and batteries are increasingly becoming cheaper than the cheapest fossil fuel alternatives. It is now, I think, cheaper to install new solar panels and new solar farms than it is to keep existing coal plants running. So a lot of the economic incentives are also aligned with the environmental incentives. And if we zoom out even further and we look at human rights, we look at justice, we look at health, all these different things, climate action helps these other issues we care about too. So I know it's easier said than done, but I think I get a lot of optimism in the fact that we are making progress. We do have some irreversible damage, but that doesn't mean everyone's going extinct. There's somewhere in the middle there where we can create a future that's better for ourselves and hopefully more prosperous as well. Doc to Doc is a personal lending solution designed by doctors for doctors. We understand that doctors' financial situations change faster than an insulin drip in ketoacidosis. And we also understand that doctors are the most reliable borrowers in the world. Through our proprietary algorithm, we're able to provide personal loans at great rates with amazing flexibility because we take into account your schooling, your specialty, and where you are in the medical journey. Doctors come to us after they've matched into residency and we loan for all sorts of personal reasons, from credit card debt consolidation to family expenses and medical bills. We speak with everyone who applies for a loan and offer fixed interest rates and flexible term options without prepayment penalties. If you're a physician looking for a personal loan, fill out our application form now. It only takes three minutes, and we'll get back to you with a decision within 24 hours. I remember growing up, because I'm, I'm actually Gen X millennial, and uh, you know, growing up when they said like climate change and all of that, they, you know, they, the you know, all the corporations were like, oh, this is not true, and same thing with, you know, uh, with my parents' generation, they said that smoking doesn't cause cancer, but you know that's just corporate rhetoric. So, um, what's interesting is, uh, you know, all of these. Uh, what I'm there's now. Oh, one thing is with the recent Supre Supreme Court rulings stating that um, the EPA doesn't have power over corporations. Congress must um, um, actually uh, all the authority and legislative authority comes from Congress now. What what do you think that'll do to climate change? Do you think that'll help it or hurt it? Or I'm curious. 
So I did read the actual ruling, and it's a lot more nuanced than I think a lot of headlines have given it credit for. So basically, the case was about uh, the Clean Power Plan, which the EPA proposed in 2015 to try to uh, limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. So traditionally, they're they're regulating under the Clean Air Act, which was passed in 1963. There were amendments in 1970, 77, and 90. And this bill was designed to delegate the power to the EPA to regulate various air pollutants. So the EPA had this section in there where they see, okay, we have to regulate power plants, greenhouse gas emissions are a pollutant, so we're going to pass this law. But the way that they constructed it a large part of it called for uh, what they called generation shifting, which basically meant switching from coal and gas to sources like solar and wind. And that was the first time the EPA had attempted something like that. Generally, they would talk about a modification at the plant, some new technology, something like that. So this generation shifting the Clean Air Act didn't really say they could do that. That was maybe a step further to say, okay, because of this one small section in this bill from 1963, we can decarbonize the entire electric grid. So that was what they had proposed. And again, I'm talking purely from a government perspective, from a climate perspective, we can say, <laughs> awesome, yes, do that. But from a government perspective, uh, I forget how many states, but a bunch of states basically came back and said, no, you can't do that. That does, you don't have the authority for that. The way that the ruling was decided, it could have gone in a number of ways. They could have just said, you can't do that one specific thing, or they could have gone back and started overturning old precedents. There were precedents like Massachusetts v. EPA, which allows the EPA to regulate greenhouse gas emissions in the first place, actually mandates them to do that. There's cases like Chevron v. NRDC, which gives agencies the authority to interpret confusing statutes. The Supreme Court didn't overturn any of that. They just said this one thing, not even generation shifting as a whole, just generation shifting as it was uh, in the clean power plan was something they can't do. They answered a very narrow question there. So that's a little long-winded and I apologize, but in terms of what that means for future climate policy, I would say very little because, okay, they lost one tool in their toolbox. The clean power plan never actually got enforced because it was tied up in these lawsuits. So it's not like anything really changed. And in the meantime, emissions dropped faster than the clean power plan had suggested was possible, which is really interesting. But we say, okay, Congress has to make a law. This was a separation of powers case, but Congress always had to make a law. Climate change is a big issue that has so much nuance and the EPA only has the power to enforce existing statutes. They can't make policy. So, I think the status quo is just maintained here. And ultimately, I mean, this is a serious case, obviously. I don't want to diminish that. And sometimes these narrow rulings can set larger precedents, but I'm not too worried just because I think Congress has the responsibility and the opportunity to actually take care of climate change. That was a little unfair to put all of that on the EPA. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh just looking at how our society is changing and, you know, very social progress where, you know, we backtracking. Um, uh, 
Now, what's interesting is because um, you did Sweaty Penguin, and um, it's quite and you basically you talk about these um, really important issues, and you inject a little bit of uh, humor, and uh, you also you know talk about like education um, and talking about Gen Z activism. So tell us more like um, more about the podcast and, um, you know, because it's creative and you're doing a lot of interesting, fun things, you know, in an educational way. Sure. So The Sweaty Penguin, we do two episodes a week. Um, on Fridays, we do uh, what we've nicknamed Deep Dives because Penguin Pun. And that those have gone back since the, early, the very beginning. Um, we will take a specific topic. I'll do a late night comedy style monologue, kind of breaking down the topic, looking at the issue, how it affects not just the environment, but also the economy, health, justice, etc. And then we'll talk about some solutions. And there I'll kind of propose some options, let our listeners think about it. I'm not really there to tell you what, uh, what to believe, but we get into that conversation. And then in the second segment, I'll interview a expert and they've been professors. Uh, we've had ones from 14 countries and five continents. So all over the world, really great group of guests. I think we've had 91 of those come out at the time we're recording. So lots of topics for you to choose from. <laughs> and then a little more recently, we started a second weekly episode on Wednesdays called Tip of the Iceberg, where I will break down whatever the big environmental news story of the week is. Um, again, that's a comedy monologue, but maybe a little slightly different flavor from the Friday ones. And then in the second segment, I answer a question from an audience member. So if any of you have climate questions, environmental questions, anything about the news, uh, feel free to send those in and we can answer your questions on the show. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then uh, which, um, which generation do you think will um, make more impact? Millennials? Because millennials actually started this, the whole movement, you know, against the uh, quote establishment uh, or Gen Z. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I have my own thoughts. I just wanted to get it from your take. It's an interesting way that you framed the question because I think a lot of generations have had counterculture movements. I mean, we think back to the 60s. I can't do the math to figure out which generation <laughs> that is, but certainly there was a large counterculture movement then. So um, in terms of the climate movement, I mean, that's been evolving for a long time. I think an interesting layer that has been coming in more recently is the focus on justice, which is maybe, I mean, it remains to be seen how that goes. But I think when maybe when I was a kid and it was all about polar bears and <laughs> recycling, like that's, I think a little harder to wrap your head around, whereas now I think it's moved into a more human dimension. And I think that that may be more appealing to a wider base of people. Um, ultimately though, I think um, my hope is that people older than both of us can <laughs> make some progress because ultimately they have the political and corporate power right now to make a change. But I think that our generations certainly have a very important voice in this. We are the ones who will live with it the longest, maybe. And I think that climate is maybe a unique space in which young people are respected as experts, maybe, because we are the ones actually going through it and feeling it. Not that old people don't, but uh, they may not have to deal with it for quite as long. So 
I don't know exactly how to answer your question, but I think there's, I think everyone ultimately needs to be a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And then, uh, you know, a lot of people think of, you know, figure in figures in the Gen Z climate movement as, uh, activists at, you know, basically protests or making massive demands of politicians, but you've actually taken a very different route, uh, to become a informer and educator, um, and not demanding anything of anyone. So you're creating value and putting it out there. Uh, why did you choose this niche for yourself? I think it goes back to just what interested me about climate change was really the nuance and the critical thinking. And I found that I tried interning at an environmental nonprofit one summer. And I think that it just wasn't the right path for me because there's nothing I could put on a sign that I would feel comfortable about. Like I need to get into the nitty gritty and actually explain all the nuance and all the options. Um, I think also I'm not someone who cares as much what specific policy happens. I just care more that something happens. So I felt that my best uh, approach was maybe to just be delivering information, getting into that uh, nitty gritty and then kind of giving people options that they can think about. Ultimately, if I move the conversation away from is climate change a serious problem? Is climate change real? Um, and over to how do we fix this? What policies do we like? I think that's very constructive. And I think once people are there, then there's other activists and other folks my age that might be more appropriate for them. But if I can move the conversation to that point, then I'll feel very happy. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, I applaud you, you know, for all of your successes. Looks like you, you know, you started during the um, pandemic and you've got 12,000 downloads. You got a PBS partner as well. So this is a great, keep up the great work. And I know a lot of people are interested in visiting your podcast, your website or contacting you and how can they do that? Yeah, I'll have to see where that number's from. I think it's more like 23,000 now. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find the Sweaty Penguin on uh, any podcast platform you like, Apple, Spotify, etc. Our website is thesweatypenguin.com. Uh, you can find us on any social media, just look us up. Or if you want to support the show even further, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. So there you can get merch, bonus content. Uh, for Tip of the Iceberg, your questions will move to the front of the line, so you might get them answered within a few days. So <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely go check that out. Excellent. And for all the listeners um, out there, um, uh, all of the resources and uh, links will be in the show notes. And um, so Ethan, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're very well informed and I wish you continued success in your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm excited that you made it for another episode. You are truly the best. If you've been following the show for a while, you know that my passion is to bring you the education you need to find your path to financial freedom. Please come back week after week for new content, new resources, and great guests. Until then, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out the website, www.drchrislewmdphd.com for more support. I'll see you next week.